Welcome to People Helping People, the podcast to inspire greater social change in the world and give you ideas on how to take action. I am your host, Adam Morris, and today I am here with Lolo Michael and George Zabuski of the Urban Accelerator X, which is an urban entrepreneur support organization. They help urban businesses do workshops, boot camps, and a cool workspace, which I hope to check out soon as COVID vanishes. They're both such a great voice for helping entrepreneurs, especially those of color, to have the right tools and the networks that they need to succeed. So both of you, welcome on the podcast. Let's dive right in. Thanks. Thank you, Adam. Glad to be here. Excited to be here. Super excited. Me too. Can we dive in and just, can you tell us a little bit about Urban Accelerator X to give us some context? So Urban Accelerator X um, is a urban entrepreneur support organization. Um, as well as we kind of like to sometimes refer to it as a center because we do have a location um, in central Columbus. And so we offer uh, resources. So we want to offer resources, education, and um, help bridge the gap between the success rate for a lot of the urban businesses, um, especially our local urban businesses. And so we try to leverage our network. We try to leverage the community's education. So people who have came before us, their success, um, as well as providing accelerators, education, workshops for um, urban businesses in the community to be able to get that or bridge that gap of, of education for them. Got it. What kind of businesses come through uh, the the programs you have? So a lot of times we have, um, I would say smaller businesses. So anywhere from 20 employees less, or usually we get people who are more so in the startup phase. So they might be in an ideation phase where they're still thinking that they want to start a business, but they don't know what to do. Or we might get people who come in and they have been in business for maybe five years or less and they're kind of doing it. They're functioning, but they're like flying by the seat of their, their pants or, um, so yeah. So that's kind of the businesses that we get. Um, we do focus on minority based businesses, um, because of the fact that we understand how intimidating it can be being a black person and having a business. <laughs> And so, um, and that barrier sometimes that happens when you are, um, when you walk into a room. And so we want to try to create a space where we educate people, but from a culturally competent um, uh, arena. So, I, and Ski loves to talk about this. I'm going to put him on the spot to, <laughs> to more so the cultural competency um, and, and how we feel about that. Yeah. Thanks, Lo. So, I mean, you hit all the key points there. I would just add that, you know, we're not unlike any other entrepreneur center. You've got Deco Woo, you've got uh, New Albany, you've got all the centers around uh, in the suburban areas. But what we found that there was actually nothing uh, in the immediate central Columbus area. So our goal was to build a place for people in the inner city. Uh, and it's very deliberate. Like Lo said, our focus is for people of color and women um, in this community. Now, we're all inclusive, but that is our primary focus. Uh, and because we know that statistically speaking, I mean, there's tons of research. Kaufman Foundation has done a lot. The mayor, uh, mayor's office just released the uh, small business agenda December 16th of, of last year. And all the statistics you know, are the same, that, that this area that we're trying to reach is traditionally underserved. Um, and we can get into why later, but you know, like Lo was saying, we, we definitely consider ourselves culturally competent because we are people of color. We are crossing the spectrum of age and we have a ton of experience between us and not just the two of us, but also the network, which we call our mastermind tribe, which is a network of other business professionals in the community across different verticals, um, most of which are also people of color. So it, it kind of removes uh, what Lo was referring to earlier, that, that, that intimidation factor, um, and, it, and it gives a nice, comfortable environment for people to come and, and kind of get the, uh, the resources they need, which real quick transitions to you know, who we're looking for, what type of businesses mm. fit in our model. Traditionally, I would say businesses that are five years or younger or in the IDH stage. Um, we've actually dealt with people 
outside of those parameters, but that's where our focus is. Uh, and we've gotten a lot of people that have come to us organically that fall within that realm as well. So the word is getting out there and it seems like, you know, there is a market fit. We are realizing that people want the service that we're providing. People need the service that we're providing. So our assumptions are kind of be, being validated. I mean, I'd love to just dive in and, and talk about what some of the barriers are for, for minorities um, when they're starting businesses. Like, what are some of the things that they really struggle with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll start this one off, Lo. Um, and for a frame of reference here, you know, um, Lolo's been in business um, as an entrepreneur her whole life. I think she's maybe worked one job and that was just to get free training on, on <laughs> some stuff she wanted to learn. And, you know, my background is a history. Uh, growing up on the South Side of Chicago, uh, joined the Air Force uh, right out of high school, uh, had that experience, retired from there, then started a tech startup, had an exit. And here we are now. Um, moving forward with our center. So we've got a lot of world experience between the two of us and also, again, that master, mastermind uh, tribe that we referred to earlier. And, and what we've realized that there's really three, along with data, you know, done by other organizations, there's really three main areas that are, that are like huge barriers. It's management, money, and markets. And, and we can get in the weeds on why on each of those, but, you know, those are kind of like the, uh, the, the main things there. I'll let you jump in there, Lo. Um, okay, so just to kind of piggyback off of there, I feel like um, that's such a difficult conversation because there the barriers for um, people of color just really, they range. Mm -hmm. and so there's like things as far as like the, the trauma and um, the mindset and generational curses that I feel like is a barrier that you have to get over that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people don't take into account, you know, when you go to a VC firm or if you go to a place that um, is similar to like a Rev1, um, not saying that they don't, they may, but a lot of people don't think about that part of there is a lot of emotional trauma first mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, people of color that is a barrier outside of just having that educational gap, outside of having the resource gap, outside of having access to capital, um, mm. uh, inside of having mentorship. Um, so it's literally like running a 400, uh, mm. a 400 race with, with hurdles. In matter of fact, I would say an 800 <laughs> <laughs> with hurdles, you know? So, um, I mean, it's really such a broad answer, but those are just some of the few things that I can think of off the top of my head. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because that's, uh, I think, very important just to, for everyone to get their head around. I really want to focus, you know, to answer the question, I want to focus on the emotional trauma and the generational curse. Because um, I think oftentimes um, when I listen to podcasts or even me myself, when I speak on podcasts, we do speak about how there um, are um, those financial barriers. We talk about the resource barriers. But I would love to just take the opportunity to talk about the, um, the trauma that runs through uh, people of color's veins. Mm. And, um, you know, for, for years, you, and we're kind of seeing it right now, we're, we're in a time period where a lot of people are really outraged. Um, a lot of social justice issues are coming up. And so people are learning so much more. Um, but just imagine, you know, outside of slavery, which slavery in itself is just like such a huge thing. And, but outside of slavery, you know, fast forward, just 50 years ago, there were policies that were written in place that allowed um, us to be, be put at a disadvantage and to be closed out of getting funding um, from mm -hmm. banks, um, being able to get education um, at, at, a, a, at the level that a lot of these, these uh, Fortune 500 or <laughs> companies um, who are ran by, you know, white people <laughs> um, yeah. outside of that, like, you know, that they've had for generations and generations, you know, their families started companies like a hundred years ago and that they've been born into this. We are coming out of a position, a position where not even 30 years ago, we were put at a disadvantage that we're trying to play the catch up race. And so a lot of people are born into families who they don't have that previous experience with businesses or even running a successful business or even being able to scale 
a business. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of the first thing. And then you put in their fear and doubt. And then also the mindset of just having to survive. A lot of Black people, or I would just even say people of color, a lot of people of color, um, they've been, they've grown up in this atmosphere of just trying to survive. <laughs> and <laughs> that is no way to run a business. That's no way to build a successful business. And so that's just a few um, of the points of really just kind of like that, that generational curse, just trying to break the generational curse um, and even establish generational wealth. For a lot of us, we're going to be the first people in our family to reach a million dollars. We're going to be the first people in our family to build a successful business. And so our, our generational wealth won't start for another, you know, uh, 50 to 100 years. Yeah. And and building those networks and connections is like, you know, when you're starting from just bringing in a lot of these tools and all of the, a lot of these resources, you haven't had any of that historically going back. That's, that's, that's a perfect, that's, that's perfect, Adam. And, and Lo, thank you so much for that. So that, that is the, the how, right? How it got to this point. Um, and it, all of those things kind of funnel into those three main categories I was talking about. You guys, you nailed it right out the off the bat. And I'll just preface this by saying, you know, that's part of what we're trying to do here at the U. You've got your Stanford's, your Harford's, your HBCUs, and these institutions, more than just learning, the biggest takeaway, I would argue, is the networks that are formed there, the relationships mm-hmm. that are formed. And so you get, you know, whatever you want to call it, the good old boy network, nepotism, whatever, you know, you have these networks that people that don't attend these types of institutions can't get, they don't get. And so that's one of the things that we're trying to provide here is give people a network to start to build and have those resources and those, those connections with folks and then, you know, help each other. And the rising tide raises all boats, right? But to, to point for the, the three main categories, so, you know, management, we nailed that. Lo mentioned earlier that you don't have a history of ownership in the business. So you don't have any of that firsthand experience from a parent, an uncle, or whoever that's run a business that you can then take things away from adapted to the current time and then start to grow with it. So we don't have that uh, bit of the history. And then we, for the money, we don't have the generational wealth, you know, for, for many different reasons. One of the most probably apparent is the redlining, you know, homeownership is, is well known as being one of the key things to generate uh, wealth across generations. Mm. And, and with redlining, you just, you didn't have that opportunity at all, amongst other things, right? So not to harp on, again, things that have happened in the past, but just to identify that these things were relevant and people don't understand the scale. You know, I find a lot of conversations, uh, I find myself with people want to say, well, that was then, it was so long ago, but these things take generations. Like you just said, Adam, it takes generations for these things to come around. It's a slow turning ship. And, and the fact is that, you know, like Lo said, you're starting out the block later than everyone else. You've got to five, 10 second delay on that 400 meter dash that you've got to wait for everybody else to go. And now you get to go. So you've got to work extra hard to catch up. And if you don't have those resources and that network, it makes it that much harder. And then finally, the markets is just, you know, it's really a matter of most of our, that we've most, we've, most of the minority owned business are serving uh, co-ethnic or, or minority clients, right? So they have a business in the hood, they're operating in the hood. And so then they're limited to the scope of, of clientele that they can have amongst many other different variables that come into play there. But so those, are, I think that all ties in perfectly to what, you know, a lot of studies have realized are those three main categories. And yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I, I know, you know, red lighting is illegal and that's been eliminated on paper, but the long-term effect of that is just really, you know, s- segregation, right? It's, it's keeping people away from certain areas. And while there's, uh, you know, that was shot down as unconstitutional, mm-hmm. there's still this after effect where real estate agents today will still guide people that to areas that are predominantly white or predominantly people of color or of a certain ethn- ethnicity, and quite deliberately just keeping that separation almost in place. So that's a, a very difficult thing to break down. Yeah, and 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 I think a lot of people. Um, you know, like, like, let's talk about it because not 
it wasn't even 20 years ago when the last um, policy was changed um, that prevented redlining. And so it was, I was alive. Like I was in elementary when the, the last final um, policy that was written that said that you can exclude black people or people of color from this neighborhood was finally uh, taken out um, in the nineties. And I think that is something that many people don't know that, that it just happened so soon. Like I believe it was 1996, but don't quote me. Uh, Cause I can't remember the exact date, but I know that it was in the nineties. And so things like that. So that wasn't even what 20, um, well, that was like a little bit over 20 years ago. And that's in my lifetime. And so it's not like this stuff changes overnight. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're still dealing with those effects to this day. Even our president recently just uh, tweeted about how people who are living in the suburbs won't have to worry about affordable living in their neighborhoods. And so what do you think? Where do you think that that's going to go for a neighborhood that was already segregated for so many years and is predominantly or 90 percent white? And where do you think that the uh, the affordable living is going to go? You know, where, where are these, um, these, these manufacturing companies going to go? Um, what areas do you think that they're going to go in? So it's just something to think about or something to talk about. Like, just because it's not in a policy doesn't mean that there aren't things that are coming into place that are still setting people of color back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that trickles over into business because if you have an area that's not desirable, um, that really affects your business, especially if you have a brick and mortar. Um, so just yeah. kind of some things to really put out there. Uh, and I love what, what you're doing in terms of of bringing in opportunity for people who might not have had that access to that education because of where they lived. You know, so if, you know, growing up in, in an area where the education system did not let you get into, you know, give you a path to get to Harvard or, or somewhere else to get access to those networks, um, you know, starting to build those networks and those tools for, for the people where they're at, um, I think is a, a good, very good first step. Um, but it feels like there, there needs to be something that helps bridge the gap even more. Yeah. I'd, I'd add to, you know, what Lo was saying earlier and it's often overlooked, but I think, you know, in the past 10, 20 years, I think it's getting a lot more visibility um, is mental health. Right. So it's been a taboo thing just in our society, period. But especially in the black community, in my, in my experience, it's been such a taboo thing. And because of that, people don't get help. They don't reach out, which means there's not a lot of data on how it's impacting people. And so we do know already that a lot of mental issues can be handed down genetically. So even if not genetically, just from growing up in an environment where maybe there was a lot of stress in the household and now, you know, certain attention was being pulled away from, you know, enforcing a good upbringing for the child because you have to deal with so many other life issues, so many other kicks in the teeth, if you will, from different angles um, that, you know, generally speaking, people of color have had to deal with a lot of that uh, over the past however many generations. So all that to say, mental health is one of the key components that we think needs to be addressed. Um, and we're working really hard to find good leaders in the community to help make that part of our curriculum, you know, because if you can't find a way to deal with life's stress and, and make room to, to, you know, grasp the other knowledge for entrepreneurship uh, or anything, any subject matter for that point, you know, it's, it's just almost an impossible battle. So we have to have a balance across both the mental, emotional, as well as the uh, education portion of it. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of piggyback, off of um, what he said, I truly believe that um, it takes all of us. Like we all are working pieces of, um, you know, what we could do or what's the next step or what more we could do. And so I truly believe, or in, and that's why he and I are great business partners, because um, it's not just about, you know, just the access, but yes, the mental health. And so I think it's like, okay, on our side, as people of color, we have to do our due diligence to heal, to make sure that we're paying attention to our mental health, to make sure that we are understanding our traumas and how to move past that and then position ourselves in a way that we understand the system, understand um, business, educate ourselves. 
not be afraid because we may not know a term or because we're intimidated. But then it also takes for the community or people who have um, positions of, of power or influence to understand the position of someone of color and be able to pull them up or be able to offer the resources that that um, can be catered to them. Because I'm honestly, a person of color sometimes just doesn't learn the same way as someone who has been privileged or mm. someone who has been blessed or someone who doesn't understand not or miss doesn't understand missing out on an opportunity because of their color alone. And so once we kind of, you know, create this system where everybody is participating in the destruction of this corrupt <laughs> system that we've established, then um, it's going to be really hard. You know, we, Ski and I, we understand what our role is in this whole um, ecosystem. And so then we try to make sure that we partner with other individuals who are like-minded and who have similar goals so that we can all work in like a circle um, and helping everybody be able to create successful business, everybody be, be on like a level playing field. Oh, and to, to be fair, you know, I want to make sure it's, it's known that, you know, outside of individuals, there are organizations in the community that have opened their arms and said, how can we help? You know, we've got a partnership with ECDI, the Women's Development Center. Uh, we've been working with the, uh, uh, Henry Gallette over at the mayor's office working on the agenda and how we can find our place in that ecosystem. Um, you know, I've got relationships with all of the entrepreneur centers. So it's not just about, you know, for us, by us. It's about making sure people get access to the resources. And we just have to be that, I guess you could say, front porch. You know, like people, they, they can judge us by the cover and they say, okay, this place looks comfortable, looks like some place that I, I can be accepted. They come in, we start talking, we figure out what it is they're trying to do. And then we start leveraging those relationships that we've built and, and help point them in the right direction for what they want. And sometimes it's just as simple. And this is, you know, beyond race or gender. It's just as simple as that warm invite. Sometimes that's all you need, you know? And so like Lo was saying earlier about, you know, understanding the different terminology and things like that, you know, a lot of our curriculum is based around getting people up to that level. Uh, so that they even have an awareness. And I don't want to monopolize the time, but just real quick, an analogy that I've recently started using and I really love is, you know, when you're a kid, and I think this is something everybody can relate to. When you're a kid, you almost inevitably, inevitably get the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> but that answer yeah. is a, it's a horrible question <laughs> because the only possible answers you can give are things that you've been exposed to. And, and so that's exactly what we're talking about here, right? We're talking about a, a group of people that have not had the same level of exposure as a, another group of people. And so what we're trying to do is broaden that awareness, broaden that exposure so that they can actually see the value of their ideas and, and you know, put some um, momentum and motivation behind not being blinded by just what they, they were aware of before, but now this larger scope of things that are possible and then help them achieve it. That makes sense. If you can't see, see it, then how are you going to know to go in that direction? Right. right? And I, I think there's, there's almost this cultural competency on both sides um, of the equation, right? Of, you know, maybe I feel like I, I'm a, you know, an example here of where my dad has a business and I've grown up seeing that and being part of that and learning from that. Um, and just, you know, my own ignorance of assuming everyone in the world has. Right. Yeah a similar worldview as I do and realizing that, no, you know, that's, that's very, very different. Um, and how to even start engaging in that conversation and bringing that on, on board. Right. So in my experience, I have a whole different set of possibilities just from having that, that privilege. Um, and so how can you, how, how can you bring that and bring that to a wider community to, to lift everybody up? Cause I think that's what is, you mentioned that, uh, you know, when we approach these things together and we lift each other up, like we're going to reach much better heights than uh, having a system that is unfairly biased towards people with all the, the money and the power and then everybody else. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I don't believe, because I know that the way that I am making it sound, it might seem like, okay, um, 
black people or people of color are all at a disadvantage and um, white people are not. And that's not the case. You know, there's definitely levels. I would say that um, I grew up in more of a, a privileged way. And so it took me a long time before I really got to experience um, like, oh, oh, you know, <laughs> I, there are some barriers for someone like me. Um, but the barriers that I have are not the same as some of the other people, you know, in my community. And I just kind of to share a real quick story. Um, you know, I, for the longest, when I was younger, I, I couldn't understand why people couldn't go to college. You know, mm. I, um, I just didn't understand. I'm like, just get a scholarship. <laughs> or, or have your parents take out a loan. Like it's not, it's not that hard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so for the longest, I just, I couldn't get it. You know, everybody, I went to a great school, a uh, high school and we all like, that was not really a question. Most of us were going to college. And if you weren't going to college, it was either because you were really bad in school <laughs> or it was just because you were going to go, you know, off and do something that your parents did. Um, so it wasn't until I had, um, we did a, a senior trip and I remember, um, so my mom's a flight attendant. I get to fly for free, which is really cool. So I'm blessed to have been filming. <laughs> and so we did a senior trip and, um, we were doing, um, just traveling from state to state so that we can not only visit different colleges. Um, and so the, the one of the friends that I was flying with was like, Hey, do you want to go visit this college in, uh, in, in Puerto Rico and, um, you know, some things that are out of the country? Maybe we can even go to South America. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'll talk to my parents about it. And so we're uh, fast forward. We're going on the trip and um, I'm really excited about it. You know, like I get to go out of the country. I get to do all these things. And so my friend is like, um, I don't like the place that we're staying at. I'm just going to go ahead and book us a different place. <laughs> and so she pulls up her bank account. And in her account, mind you, she's 18, I'm 16. In her account, in just her checking account, she had like, like $90,000. And, and like... And in her savings account, she had like $160,000 or something like that. And that was like the most money I've ever seen in my life. Like my parents gave me like 500 bucks and I thought I was balling. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when I was talking, uh, you know, with her, like I didn't want to make it seem like, wow, how do you have all that money? But she's like, oh, yeah, like my parents been saving. Like my parents give me this account and. I get to do whatever with it. And so, I mean, I just, you know, manage my money and this is how much I spent. That was the first time that I had ever been introduced to the concept of a budget or money management or the fact that a, a, someone who was 18 or under would have access to this type of money and be able to have free will to be able to spend it. And so that in itself, like that was the first time and I'm like, so as I started to ask her more questions about it, you know, her parents have already talked to her about a budget. Her parents have already talked to her about stocks. Like she was literally talking to me about, oh yeah, we have this, uh, we invested in such and such in stocks. I had no idea what stocks were. <laughs> and so it just kind of reminds me, you know, that it, to her, it was normal. To me. Yeah. At age 18 too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it, then it's crazy. So then I had to, it made me, it checked me because there's a lot of things like I think are normal. Like when I thought that everyone could go to college and I realized like, no, that's a, my parents raised me like that. That was a privilege for me. That's not a privilege for everybody. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like my first experience of like, oh, okay, you got a little ways to go. <laughs> Well, and I think something that's very interesting is like people tend to lift up the people around them very naturally, right? So, you know, if if somebody that you know is having a hard time and there's a way that you you can help them out, you you do it. I mean, that's just that's mm -hmm. kind of our basic humanity. Um, but quite often we get very locked in our own peer groups, our own socioeconomic class. And so if 
you know, kind of leaving our the safety of of this peer group and you know broadening our horizons across socioeconomic classes is very difficult. It takes effort to actually break out and and start building those relationships and those connections. And being so, too. yeah, building those relationships. Yeah, and I, I think that's something that's just more and more and more necessary. And and so I think sharing the story of like, hey, here's here's how we can go into a community and actually build a support system that you know helps entrepreneurs thrive uh, in a place where they should be thriving, you know, with the shared knowledge very easily. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're doing is really great in terms of And just like real to kind of end that, um, that, that particular story, um, this is why mental health and really uh, dealing with, you know, some of the insecurities that we have as people of color is so important because, um, to be honest, after that, I felt very intimidated. I have been friends with this girl for two years. And just from her bank account alone, I remember feeling intimidated to even be friends with her. Like I started to think of it in a different light. Like, oh my gosh, she's been to my house. Like, <laughs> you know, like, or I'm thinking, you know, like the way that I talk or the stuff that I like, like is she is over here saying on all this money, um, instead of using it as an opportunity, you're right. People will offer information people will help to to try to bring you up um and the fact that she was friends for me with me for two years i'm pretty sure she would have helped um shed some light on some things for me but instead i was just so insecure at the time about my position in this economy and and who i was that i just didn't want to have the relationship and so i think it's about really um, empowering us to ask those questions that we're uncomfortable with asking Mm -hmm. and building those relationships that we're uncomfortable with building, not being ashamed to be like, hey, I don't know this. Hey, I'm unfamiliar with this. Um, Or this seems unattainable to me. And then and then going on that, I for years after that, you know, like I felt like I was stuck in a place until I got out of my own way. And I just started being honest with people. Like, I don't know what in the world you're talking about, but please teach me. (laughs) 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 Or if somebody used a term in a meeting that I didn't know, I would write it down and then I would make sure to go educate myself afterwards. So, I mean, that's kind of like, you know, the ending or how I feel. And that's one of our things that we want to do is make sure that not only are we just providing the basic education at a, a level that most people will be able to digest, but we want to make sure that we change that psychological, like, it's not okay. It's, 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 it's okay to um, ask these questions. It's okay to get a mentor. It's okay to not know um, something. So, yeah. And, and I'd even yeah. argue it's, it's necessary. I mean, the story you just told, Lo, is the same story we hear time and time again, whenever somebody that comes from an underprivileged area, regardless of race, ends up making it out, right? And it's always the, I had a good mentor. I had a good team. You know, it's always about, um, some, I don't want to say assistance or helping hand, but you know, that, that rising tide it's, and it's like you said, <clears throat> excuse me, Adam, um, it's just in our nature to help people that we're around, mm-hmm. but sometimes we've got to come into these environments and say, Hey, I'm here to, to provide that engagement, to provide that mentorship, because not everybody has the ability to get out of it and go find and seek that mentor like Lo did and like I did. And if you don't know that, Hey, this is, this is a way to move forward, then right. How would that cross your mind? Yeah. Do you have any stories of people who've come through your programs and kind of what they experienced and how it transformed them? Oh, I've got one that comes straight to mind. <laughs> Our very first boot camp in January this year, we had a cohort of nine students from across the spectrum of business experience. We had a woman that had been in business for 10 plus years and was successful, but just wanted to sharpen her skills, learn other resources. Um, things like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we had a, a person that had no experience, was recently out of work, heard about it and said, you know what? I'm just sitting here on the couch. Let me go see what this is about. Maybe I'll be interested. And our boot camp was only three days long. It started Friday night and ended Sunday night. And she told us afterward, <laughs> I get really choked up when I think about it. She told us afterward that um, Friday night, she went home after our orientation. And she just broke down. She was crying. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know why she was there. She didn't feel like she fit in. She couldn't sleep. 
the next day when it was time to come, she wasn't going to come. She just, she, she, you know, had put it out of her mind. But for whatever reason, she muscled through. And on the way in that day, um, she kind of had some ideas on something she wanted to do. And, and the way our boot camp was structured is we put uh, different, three different types of jobs in front of them, and they had to build it from scratch. So regardless of what they were doing before, if, if anything, this was something that was brand new that they had never experienced. And we gave them teams, and they had to build a business that we told them what the business was. And, um, you know, the, a couple days of, of training and instruction and uh, letting them interact and whiteboard and come up with stuff. And it was rough. And, you know, it looked like the person that didn't want to um, come back that, that Saturday, it looked like their team was struggling, just to be honest. And during our pitch competition that Sunday night uh, or Sunday afternoon, where we had some, some local entrepreneurs come in and, and do the judging, um, her team was actually the team that won. And it was just absolutely amazing. And then the feedback, again, that she gave us about that journey that she went through emotionally from that Friday night, and then watching that progression throughout the end of, of the course, I mean, first of all, it was like it was very strong validation for why we're here and what we're doing, right? I've always said, mm-hmm. if we just can reach one person, then, then we've done our job. So right there, that was that. But, but more so just to be able to see the real life um, experience, the, the real life uh, roller coaster of emotion that this individual went through. This is just one of the nine people, right? And everybody had a story. But hers, to me, was like one of the most dramatic, um, especially in the way she told it. But that, that, was, that was one of the best stories. And so after that, months later, she came back. She's like, hey, I wanted to take advantage of some of the free offerings you guys gave because we offered some consulting and stuff for, for all the graduates. And um, she was kind of ready to take it to the next level. So we walked her right down the street to the Women's Development Center. She signed up there. And, you know, right around then is when Corona hit. So a lot of things got lost in the mix. but. From my understanding from the director down there, you know, she was well on her, her way to, to get her business off the ground and potentially even some, some funding from uh, ECDI. So that's like my favorite <laughs> story there. And it kind of gives the full circle, right? From yeah. I don't even know what I want to do all the way through to, hey, let's start getting some money to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That was I like know. the best story. I knew you was going to say it. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Lola, do you have any stories like that? actually do have a story um so i had a friend who i went to high school with we hadn't talked in years and then she seen what i was doing on instagram um so she contacted me and she's like hey i want to start a business um thinking about starting um like a hairline you know um and this is also something that i want to talk about and this isn't to crush anybody's dreams because i appreciate anybody who wants to start a business because it 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 takes a lot of strength um, but I do feel like, you know, I've talked about this before. It's such a controversial topic, but, um, I always try to say like, you know, are we truly business owners or are we mass consumers? And so that's kind of like the back, um, information of it. Um, and when I say that, I mean, um, a lot of times I've seen so many women, so many people, um, many of my clients have literally, um, you know, bought something wholesale. They put their packaging on it and then they resell it. And there's nothing wrong with that because that is extremely lucrative. But my only concern sometimes is you're at mercy to whoever you're purchasing from. So as their prices go up, you have to adjust your pricing as well. And it's not only solely off of who your market is. And so I try to challenge people, you know, like uh, maybe think about starting a need-based business. Or um, think about um, being the person, the supplier in that chain instead of the person who's buying from the supplier. Um, so anytime somebody comes to me and they're like, hey, I want to have a hair line. I'm like, OK, cool. You have a vendor. Um, have you thought about being a vendor? You know, or have you thought about being a distributor? Have you thought about um, because that's kind of sometimes where the money is. So anyway, fast forward. Uh, we were talking. She was like, I want to start a hair care line. I'm, I mean, start a a, um, a hairline, but uh, she doesn't do hair. So I was like, okay, well, what makes you want to do this? And she's like, well, I just really want to make money and I like hair. I'm like, okay, all right. So we kind of did this dance for probably about five to six months. Um, and 
it was very hard for her to market because of the fact that she wasn't a hairstylist. Um, she also wasn't an influencer and because the market is so saturated. And so I had to have a real honest conversation with her and say, you know, I, I love the fact that you want to own a business. You have all the makings of being somebody who can own a business. What are some other things that you'd like to do? And she was like, well, I've always done HR. You know, like I, I like to help people with their process. Boom. You like to help businesses with their processes. Okay. You did it when you've done it for multiple uh, companies like Chase and, and so forth. So you're good at this. Can you or would you be open to the possibility of making that a business? She's like, oh, but I really like, you know, she likes the glamour of having a hairline. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So, so move forward. So she ended up, she, it took her a little second. But then she ended up being like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Within two months, she already had clients because wow. she then established a need-based business. But I don't even think that the idea was in her, mm. like on her radar. And so it made me think, you know, like I have to use my voice. I don't want to discourage anyone from doing any type of business that they want to do. But it made me realize like I have the power to help someone do critical thinking, ask someone help me do critical thinking. And um, it turned out to be such a great experience. You know, she even helped give me some tips and tools on how to do some automation stuff in my business. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think that that was, you know, one of the best stories I had because she was really struggling. You know, she felt defeated when her hairline wasn't taken off. Um, but then, you know, seeing like, oh, when I provide something that, you know, our our um, our audience needs and seeing how it blew up for her, that was that was just so amazing. Like, I love that that experience. <laughs> that is super cool. It's interesting. I was having a co similar conversation with Alan Proctor over at Social Ventures, and he was talking about how a lot of the social enterprises in Columbus uh, start off offering consumer based products. And it's a real struggle building that up and he's like actually the, there's a huge potential in you know business to business offering so offering a service to a business and i think it's it's harder for people to imagine in their head because it's <clears throat> it's less intuitive right it's easy to say oh i, I like pizza let's start a pizza shop um mm -hmm. it's it's harder to say hey you know my company needs uh you know consulting around how to make widgets because it's not as, as personal, but quite often there's a much greater opportunity there. Adam, that's the, that's the nail on the head. I, I suffered the same thing, you know, until very recently in life. And I just, I think the term is inferiority complex, right? In mm. combination with everything we've been talking about, not being aware of what type of fields are out there, one doesn't even think about, oh, I might be able to do this type of thing for a B2B. You know, in my later years in the Air Force, I did process improvement, Lean Six Sigma, that type of stuff. But even as an adult and fully functioning in this capacity, it never crossed my mind that I could actually just market myself as that and do that. You know, it wasn't my passion uh, to do that for another organization, but it is my passion to, to help other businesses grow with those types of skills and resources. But I never really thought about it as a business model. You know, I always just thought about it as something I did to help people. But hey, that can be a business model. That's exactly what we and all the other entrepreneur centers are doing. You know? mm -hmm. So it's, it's definitely a, the lens. It's all about that lens. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Totally agree. How do people find out about you? And do you have any upcoming events that people should know about? Yes. So <laughs> while Lo prepares the marketing answer, I'm just going to go out here <laughs> and, and blurt out. You know, it's kind of amazing. Uh, we haven't been doing any advertising since, since well, well, I'll say recently. We did a little bit in the beginning of Corona because we were providing resources for businesses on how to deal with it, um, which is really just sharing the resources that were, you know, being produced in the community. Uh, but we've had a steady flow of people finding us, which again, kind of validates the, the need. Um, but we do have some stuff coming up. I'm going to let Lo talk to that. And we have our website, the U T H E the letter U, cbus.com. And we always keep that up to date along as, as well as our uh, social media. But I'll hand that over to Lo now. 
Yeah, so um, we have a few things coming up. Um, we will uh, be announcing that uh, we plan to, well, this is actually the first time, so. But we are going to be announcing here uh, that we're doing a fundraiser. So um, we want to raise 150000 and what we plan to do with that money is do an accelerator. Um, and so 20 businesses we're going to give a $5,000 grant to um, and allow them to go through an eight-week accelerator that will help them with, you know, uh, taking, if they're in ideation phase, really filtering through ideation phase and building a sustainable business. Um, and so it's going to be really intense, but I'm super excited about that. We also have some things that are coming up in the, the works um, where this year we will be doing a boot camp, but it'll be a virtual boot camp because we want to make sure that everyone, all of our audience is um, safe. And so we will be doing a virtual boot camp uh, in fall. Central Columbus uh, or Central Ohio area, uh, other accelerators. And we are in partnership with a couple of those and we're looking to put on some joint venture training. We'll have a couple primers. Uh, but it'll all be kind of like in this overarching uh, network in coordination with some of these other entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it's really exciting because with what we have coming up in the partnership, we're going to be targeting different areas. And so um, I think that we are pretty familiar with our target audience and who's really attracted to us. But with the partnership, it's going to allow us to kind of dabble into mm -hmm. some season businesses as well as um, dealing with some college students who uh, want to pursue entrepreneurship or even are going to school for business and don't know how to take that business knowledge and then make it work for them in the actual business or real, real world. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that we're skiing and I are super excited about, and I even can't believe that we're going to be, um, that we're building this, but because when we first started off, it was kind of like an idea, but we are going to be building a online platform that are that people can easily plug into and get access to a lot of these different things so um some of the things that you need to do in your ideation phase whether it's your finances you know legalities um how do you uh, set up your business what is an ein number <laughs> so some of the things that a lot of people like it's just kind of like up in the air the information is everywhere We'll have it outlined on this um, online platform for people to be able to have access to it very easily, um, as well as some of the other things that come later. You know, once you do establish your business, um, what are some systems, some sales, some funnels, um, branding information and marketing strategies? Uh, so that's something that we've always wanted to do. I am super, super stoked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a prime case of, you know, the pivot, right? The uh, entrepreneurial pivot. So. We got hit, kicked in the teeth with Corona. And so we've, we've got to make adjustments and our roadmap changed. So, you know, that's why it's important to have that roadmap so that you can have options. <laughs> I love that. Now, just back to this fundraiser really quick. How do people find out about that and contribute to that? Um, if they go to, if they follow us at the UC bus. So if they follow us on Instagram, um, then they will be able to kind of keep track because we're going to be updating a lot of information on there. And then um, if they go to our website, so uh, theucbus.com, and then we'll um, and sign up for our newsletter, we'll be able to give them direct um, updates as we announce it, as we roll things out. And this is for everyone, whether you want to be someone who supports, because we are going to be um, allowing people, you know, um, who are investors and then also people who just like are in the community who just want to want to support to be able to support and then those who want to um, maybe apply or take part in the program we're going to open that up but sign up for the the emails and um, visiting our or even uh, turning the notifications on on our instagram is the best way to do it fantastic um and i'll mention this later but all those resources are will be in the show notes as well um, and I'll keep that up to date as as the programs come into focus. Is there anything else which uh, we should really dive into and and cover, or ways that people can help or get involved? Oh boy! Uh, so <laughs> big open, <big> open question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the list is so long. We try to 
at the top three. So we always need relationships. I mean, hands down, um, people that are passionate about raising the tide. You know, we have a focus on uh, people of color and women because the numbers say this is where the most help is needed, and this is our background, this is our life, right? So it, it makes sense. It's a good fit. The cultural competency is built in, um, but it takes all of us, right? It's it's so much more than just a race thing. It's it's about just transcending the barriers of entry for anybody that that wants to go there. I mean, there's so, we've we've known and we've proved that entrepreneurship is what makes our economy grow and move. That's undeniable. You know, we just need everybody that's like minded that believes in that and is passionate about helping that mission along. Uh, to build relationships with. We just need to be in relationships with those people. And we need mentors. We need facilitators. We need people that want to pay it forward, you know, that have fought the fought. They made it out. <laughs> you know, they, they got there uh, and they're willing to come back and, and help other people get there. That's fantastic. Um, I, I just, I really love Columbus as a, a hotbed for entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, I think there's just so much diversity here and you know, an ethos in Columbus for people helping each other out. And so just building these connections. And uh, as you said, you know, you know, working together, we're going to all rise up if we can lift each other up. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. And Adam, I do want to say, you know, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to, to share our story and our mission. Um, we know firsthand the value of people like you, the things you do and the platforms that you create and and maintain so you know big shout out to you man and uh, all the all the work that you do for the community we really really appreciate it awesome. and thank you very much for everything that you're doing i did just i really love it so um, i'm glad we had this chance to sit down and talk yes yes me too wow that was so cool both lolo and ski are so awesome with what they're doing you can find out more about the Urban Accelerator X at the ucbus.com. That's T-H-E-U-C-B-U-S dot com. Keep an eye out for their upcoming workshops, virtual boot camps, and online platform to help you with the tools you need to develop your business. I really love their approach to taking this knowledge to help people who need it most. And I firmly believe that the more connections and networks that we build across cultural boundaries, the more valuable our efforts become and the more we can lift each other up. As always, thank you so much for listening. Further details are in the show notes at peoplehelpingpeople.world. Until next time, cheers.